My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Like, so awesome. That was like all the core I needed. Yeah. Then I had um, a single. Uh, I take that back. I had a single Warrior of Chaos because I had like an exalted hero on a steed to be my BSB. Well, Perfect. yeah, you gotta have those, right? Gotta then, have that uh, so I had a bunch of dragon ogres, like a half dozen or so, for special. And then in rare, I had two dragon ogre shagoths. Love it. And for a lord, I always um, I use Colic Sun Eater. And it was super funny because everybody always like shit on him because oh he's like toughness six and he only has a two up armor save and he doesn't have a ward he's just gonna catch a cannonball and die, <laughs> and then they would fight them like fight Colic with their like super powerful lord and they would do like four or five wounds to Colic and then I'd say like well that's cool he's still got three left now I get to fight back and they don't realize he has six seven attacks. Uh, at strength 10 that do d3 wounds each what that's and, crazy right it's like everybody shits on him and then he like absolutely flattens some poor bastard <laughs> and it was terrific that's got to be the lowest model account army that you can possibly field in warhammer fantasy like i, I can't think of another army that could possibly 18 19 yeah yeah it was under 30 i think it was like 25 26 models you're Jeez. taking you're taking trolls for core, man. I mean, yeah. not even not even ogres like can do that. Oh, and what's really great, I loved. Um, we had a couple of uh, undead players who, you know, they'd always say like, "Oh, well, you just stick it with a single ethereal creature and hold up that entire horde." But the fun thing about chaos trolls is their vomit is magical. So, <laughs> oh, stop, dude. Love it. I, I mean, there's it. still plenty of things that would crap on that giant unit, but I think people just didn't expect it. And, I mean, by it's, the time yeah. they were like, oh my god, troll horde, I think I dealt with it, <laughs> then there was colic, so. That sounds like a great list. You should totally do that again. I might at some point. It's Or bring your beastmen back, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Jolly's got most of them. I mean, I'm sh sure he'd be willing to sell them back. <laughs> Probably, but I just gave them to him. It's a pretty, it's a pretty solid beast man army right now in the, the meta. Yeah, uh, doesn't. It's pretty. Is it Eric plays them? Uh, Kyle plays them. Kyle he's, plays them. He's a good dude. I've heard good things. Yeah, he's pretty. He's yeah. pretty solid. He traded me, you know, six k points of of Bretonians for uh, <laughs> a bunch of terrain. So. Nice. Yep. Got to start working on that nonsense. Oh, that reminds me, while I'm thinking about it, um, I went through uh, that page 124. Yeah. So the first couple of paragraphs are word for word the same thing that's in uh, book one for like um, Astropaths and the Astronomicon. Mm -hmm. that, that great tithe deal is entirely new, and I have never seen that before. Yeah, so Jason, this Pat, are we recording? We are, but I mean, I can always edit it out. No, no, no. I want this is. I want this to be recorded. Like oh. so. Hey, listeners! Welcome to another episode of Heresy Grad School. <laughs> What's going on? So there's there's two things that I want to tell the listeners, right? So the first thing is, there are very few moments in, um, I guess my my research. And just overall, you know, dive into the lore where a single paragraph changes my perspective on like meta plot, right? Like everything, right? Oof. Just man, right? Like it's intense, right? Goosebumps intense, oh, yeah. right? And so this page 124, book seven, which we're going to get into the great tithe, like that was a paragraph that changed my philosophy on what the emperor was up to and i don't know about you jason but uh 
yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was mind blown. See, this, I think, goes back to, uh, I've heard it several times, and I really like the theory that the Emperor, not only is he a god, but he's like a diametrically opposed to due to the Chaos Gods. So if you think of him as like a god of law and order instead of chaos, like he's trying to organize the entire universe, essentially. Yeah. And uh, this is part of how he does it, is by arranging a literal harvest of the human race to get the humans he wants to get to where he wants to go. Yeah, and I, I don't want to spoil this for our listeners. I'm, I want to leave them hanging like in suspense as much as possible because uh, <laughs> it's it's so good. Um, all I'm going to tell you is whatever you think about the Great Tithe, the the black ships, the the culling of the human psycho population, whatever you think is going on, prepare to be mind blown and. Uh, We'll leave it at that until we get into it. The second thing is, um, I have to go back and full transparency redact something that we put out either last episode or the episode before. What? It happens <laughs> occasionally. Um, and this is, you know, this is grad school, right? So this is perfect. So, um, you know, Pat, Jason, and I, we've all we've all done the the graduate level research work, and the first thing you you do is you you don't just go to the wiki right um you do not <laughs> you, you might start there and that's fair play right you got in the ass don't you know <laughs> but uh but you but you but you better not just rely on that and so um i fell into that trap a little bit uh last episode and i said that the black books were uh pretty sparse on their coverage of navigators and astropaths and the Navis nobility and the astrotelepathica and I may have uh, may have been wrong about that so I followed some uh, followed some leads went down some rabbit holes went through some warp rifts and um, yeah there's book seven blows out navigators and astropaths and i think we're going to circle back a little bit in this episode so i think we were going to do the sort of um the windshield tour of the city of sight i think we were going to take listeners on a little excavation but but i'd like to hold off on that uh for a little bit given the the new information that has come to light here from book seven is that is that cool with you guys? I mean, as long I, as I get my grimdark Disneyland tour, I'm okay. <laughs> at some point, you know? I'm all about it. Uh, what is graduate-level thesis work if not your professor rambling on about some shit he forgot it to tell you last time? There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. All right, well, um, Jason, would you like to give our listeners the... Uh, the lore that is on page 124. You can start wherever you want. Um, you know, you, like you said, I think some of the, the the first couple of paragraphs may have been ground we've already covered. But um, if you wanted to start either with yeah, Astro sure. Pass or the Great Tithe, that would be cool. All right. So, guys, if you want to whip out those weighty tomes, I know you have at your fingertips. Uh, check out page 124 on book 7, Inferno. Uh, it's a big red page. The Astrotelepathica, the Astronomicon, and the Great Tithe. So, uh, if you check out the first couple of paragraphs, it's word for word the stuff we were pulling from, from book 1 for our first uh, episode here. And what's important here is... Um, you can skim over that if you want, but uh, what Dave and I really want to dig into is this uh, last couple of paragraphs, The Great Tithe. So I'm going to read a little bit from it, and just to kind of set the scene for you. So, uh, in order to fuel and provide manpower for the creation of the Adeptus Astro Telepathica, a vast and intricate organization was created, the Divisio Astro Telepathica, and many of the resources gained by the initial conquests of the Great Crusade were diverted to its establishment. It was vast in scope, and its key function was to execute one of the fundamental goals the Emperor himself had set for the Great Crusade, the marshalling and regulation of all human psychers across the ever-expanding worlds of the 
Imperium. This seemingly incomprehensible task required hundreds of thousands of functionaries and technicians, billions of tons of raw materials to construct specialized facilities, and most significantly, an absolute concentration of a body of Psyker lore on a scale perhaps unknown before in humanity's long history. Now, guys, Pat, Dave, I don't know what that says to you, but to me, this is the division the Emperor creates specifically with the goal of harvesting what he needs out of the human population. What do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, can, can you guys hear me? Oh, yeah. Just fine. Perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this, this fundamentally changes, I think, my understanding of what the Emperor's end goal was with, with the Great Tithe. Right, so it wasn't about um, culling the, psych the, the human psyker population to prevent demon incursion and, and rogue psyker and chaos infiltration into the Imperium. It was the Emperor knew that he needed psychers, specifically um, psychers of uh, probably Alpha plus Primaris level um, power. So he knew that he had to create a communication network throughout the galaxy that was going to be astropaths and he had some other goals which we'll get into that required um primaris level uh psychers and so he was going out into the galaxy and collecting these people uh so that he could build his 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 infrastructure uh to support his goals in the Imperium, and that's, that is, that is to me, that's mind-blowing. What it reminds me of, uh, Dave, you remember Master of Mankind, right? Yeah. So, Aaron Dembski-Bowden had these terrific chapters that kind of seemed almost out of place at first, about, like, a young, uh, psyker girl who was like the, um, she was like the doula for her village, you know, like, um, I think she was like a midwife or some such, but she had like a very tiny psychic talent. And uh, her chapters are like being chased and abducted by the Sisters of Silence and herded together with a whole bunch of other psychers. And in the end, well, spoilers for like a three-year-old novel, um, <laughs> it turns out that she's what you think is one of the first groups of a thousand psychers to be sacrificed so the emperor can get out of the golden throne and go wage war in the webway but it seems like almost like it's being portrayed as like this is one of the first times that these things have happened but like from something like this like this has been going on just since the beginning of the Great Crusade, that psychers have been systematically picked out, harvested, abducted, and the Emperor went into the Great Crusade with this idea that, um, you know, to maintain communication and to maintain navigational ability to expand his empire, that there's going to have to be this systematic, like, harvesting of psychers from every world he runs across. And when, um, I think everybody kind of knows the lore from 40k of how, you know, a thousand psychers a day are sacrificed to keep the emperor alive on the golden throne. Uh, this has been going on and really, uh, it was, uh, they were like redirected from his plans to expand the Imperium to just maintaining him. And I think that's a, that's like a huge connection that, you know, this uh, page we just stumbled across kind of opens up. Yeah, it, it's, it speaks to the Emperor's foresight and his sort of his omniscience. And I, I think when you look at the soul-binding ritual, and since we're on Astropaths, and I think we're talking about the soul-binding, to me, that is the, the Emperor using his psychokinetic force in the same way that he uses his psychokinetic force to shape custodies, um, just on a different scale. So he's taking astropath and he's psychically conditioning them almost in the same way he um, sort of build a, a custody from the molecular level up, right, through psychic manipulation, rewriting the gene code. He's just doing it with, with astropaths on a slightly, um, you know, it's not the full scale spectrum, right? It's the soul binding ritual. He's going in, he's, he's reshaping their ability to uh, communicate through the warp in the uh, allegories, right? These empathic transmissions that are allegory rather than word. 
And I, I mean, to me, there's just so many, there's so many connections here. Pretty cool. Um, and I think when we talk about the emperor's foresight and this was his plan all along, it just makes things so much more interesting when, when you look at like, why now, right? Why this moment? Why the unification wars? Why the great crusade? Why not before, you know? So, um, it's very interesting. These are very interesting questions, and the astropaths and the navigator are at the heart, I think, of all of it. If we're talking about, like, why now, like at this specific point in humanity's history, I think during the Age of Strife there was a huge upswing in both mutations and psychic manifestation. If I was going to make a guess, more or less, you know, unsubstantiated by anything I can find, kind of like, a, call it like an educated guesstimate, I would think it would be then in humanity's history because there's so many psychers that he has a really large group to pull from just to get off the initial planet, you know, to get out of the soul system. He's got, you know, so much more of a resource to pull these psychics from uh, to act as navigators and um, to act as astropaths because during the Age of Strife, the navigators were, uh, their houses took a serious nosedive, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, this is something that I wanted to get into um, a little bit later, but it feels appropriate to get into it now. So one of the um, one of the deep plot Easter eggs that Graham McNeil left in, um, uh, what is it, the book that we've just been talking about? Uh, Outcast did. Yeah, thanks. That's wow. the one. You we mean didn't. the only book we ever cover in Heresy Grad School? Wow. So... <laughs> Required so, readings if you ever want to listen to any of our stuff ever again, by the way. <laughs> so, so in Outcast Dead, Graham McNeil, um, he drops this huge plot, like, um, I mean, it's like, it's like a, it's like a bomb, right? Um, about the cognoscence. And so th this, the, this ties into the sort of the Psy Wars, which the Psy Wars may or may not predate the Age of Strife. I don't have a lot of um, hard source material on when the Psy Wars happened. What I do know is the Cognizants were an ancient order of Psyker that lived on Terra um, literally thousands of years before the current age, right? So before the Unification War, before the Great Crusade. And the Cognizants, you can go and you can, you can sort of look at them and, and read about them. They're fascinating um, in terms of just raw material for for sort of uh, potentially earlier plot material um, but they also built the um, the whispering tower and probably most of the uh, city of sight so the city of sight predates the imperial palace the emperor did not build the city of sight is psychically resonant and it was built by this group of uh, there's no equivalent to them. Um, they're more powerful than any psyker that we know about, except the emperor. So, and there were there were many of them, uh, probably on the order of a dozen. So the cognizance uh, psychically constructed the entire city of sight, and then ruled Earth almost to its destruction thousands of years before uh, the period we're in now, which is the Great Crusade, and they were destroyed. Uh, they were basically singled out and assassinated by, quote-unquote, right, somebody with golden eyes. Um, but it's an allegorical reference to somebody maybe like the emperor. I don't know. And so this, this, this to me, raises a lot of questions, right? Like, so if the emperor had the city of sight 3,000 years ago, or 3,000 years before the Great Crusade, if he had this vast architecture of psychic potential within the human population, why wait? Why go through 3,000 years of uh, apocalypse, right, post-apocalypse and the unification wars? Why? I don't know, right? Like, this is the whole question of, like, what was he doing? <laughs> what was he doing for 3,000 years? Was he working on his... Um, was he was he was he in the gene labs? Was he working on his his secret um, Thunder Warrior recipe? You know, like what what the fuck was he doing? Was he off on Moloch? 
you know, was he, where was he? Um, so I think this is, this is some deep plot stuff that I think you can read the Horus Heresy um, and, and love it for its richness. And then you find a book like Outcast Dead and you just fall down the rabbit hole, like all the way down the rabbit hole. And it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm appreciating it more and more. And I think as I go through the black books and find some of the, uh, the, uh, the resource material here that we're talking about, it's just, man, mind blown. So, so there are some other places that I wanted to go, um, but I don't know if, it, if they need to be part of the astropath episode because it gets into sort of the division um, investigates and the divisio investigates. And I feel like the divisio investigates really leads into more about the silent sisterhood. And I want to save that for another grad school episode down the road. I, I maybe, maybe one after this, but um, cause it's, cause it, it's, it's connected, but it's not, it's not necessarily directly connected. Um, so the only other thing I wanted to talk about uh, before we do the City of Sight tour, which feels appropriate since I just talked about it, um, <laughs> was uh, the one other call out on page 14 of the Black Book, which is uh, book seven, right? Page 14, the Council of Nikea, the Astropaths, the Astrotelepathica get a, um, a shout out. So they're actually at the Council of Nikea and they're f- fairly uh high up on the council so you have the emperor of course right you have malkador uh the sigilite the high proconsul imperialis uh you've kilbor hall the fabricator general of mars you have the lords militant tabor ludovica and haldane malon who both muster of the imperialis auxilia you have grad grand admiral constanza Sutai Falcon, the Imperialis Armada, who I did notice must have either changed out or um, passed on before uh, Su Kassan, right? Because Su Kassan is the, um, when you get to the Siege of Terra, when you get to the Solar Wars, she is the uh, Grand Admiral of the Imperialis Armada. Oh yeah, that's a good point. It, which is interesting because we don't know anything else about Suwati uh, Falcon, who we would uh, assume is her direct predecessor. So that's just sort of interesting um, kind of subplot there. And then we have Oculix, Oculix Magister Jalisco de Jericos Huerta, Ordo Ostra Telepathica. And uh, Oculix Magister, who we don't really know what Oculix Magister means. There's no other like reference to it in the lore, even in um, the Black Library novels, um, like Outcast Dead. So we would imagine that the Oculix Magister is the you know, the highest ranking member of the Ordo. Which He's is the chief high muckety muck of the high muckety mucks. So yeah, but he, he is. He is. The high muckety muck, and it's also interesting that it's called an ordo, um, ordo astra telepathica, um, and his stance at the Council of Nikea was unsurprisingly avowed neutrality. Right, <laughs> like right. not a, we're not for, we're not against. Right, the sanction of of Magnus, and really it wasn't about Magnus; it was about the um, the Librarius project. Right. Um, really, I think, is what was on trial at the Council of Nikea was not just Magnus and the Thousand Sons, but it was really the Librarius project within the, uh, the Legions, the Legionis Astartes. Um, that was all I wanted to talk about, guys, from the Black Books. I think we'll save the rest for maybe another episode that definitely want to get into, but it doesn't really feel like it fits directly here. Yeah, no, sounds I good mean, to me. definitely sounds good. Okay. So, uh, shall we take a walk? We shall. We shall take a walk. And this is the City of Sight within the Imperial Palace. And the first landmark that we're going to come to is... So if you were if you were outside the Imperial Palace, 
and you were you were kind of coming into the Imperial Palace, we're going to take you on a tour of, of what you would see, right? So this is sort of Kai Zulane's journey, um, but it's also the journey that anyone would take uh, coming into the City of Sight. The first thing you're going to see is the Obsidian Arch, and it's the main entrance um, to the City of Sight. It's a forest of iron towers, lightless garrets, and silent thoroughfares. So you're, there's a bunch of streets that are winding their way here. Um, it's a glossy black archway. And it's you just imagine that there's a mass of humanity. But um, sort of maybe anachronistically, there weren't that many of the Astra Telepathica on the streets at this point. Um, there, there might have been a few students, but most of the Astra Telepathica traveled below ground. They traveled in a network of tunnels and rock uh, that was carved out beneath the city. And very few of them came up above the ground um, if they could help it, because for an astropath or an astrotelepath, this is getting into sort of the telepathic ability, right, is the feeling of sunlight on their skin was a reminder of, of what they had lost. So they may not be able to have a sense of touch or a sense of, you know, smell uh, or a lot of the senses, but they could feel the sunlight on their skin. And I guess that sensation of uh, being above ground and, and all of those memories brought back that sense of loss. It's an interesting sort of uh, atmospheric that Graham McNeil brings into play. And I think that's one of the things I like most about uh, this novel is, um, is the sense of meta plot, but also the sense of just atmospherics. But you'd also kind of assume psychically it's easier for them to travel underground because don't they just kind of passively hear thoughts and feel people's thoughts and being stuck in a crowd is probably misery, you know? Exactly, Pat, you're right. So um, they pick up the background noise from uncontrolled thoughts um, as part of an, being their, their psychic gift of being an astrotelepath um, or being a telepath, really, is that they pick up these um, random thoughts, the chatter and wild emotion of the cacophony that's around them. Um, so they travel underground to avoid that, but also underground in the tunnels built by uh, the City of Sight. Uh, they have Psi disruptive crystals. So it's a really cool idea. It's this idea that you can line the walls with sort of noise dampeners, but they're not like sound dampeners. They're just like psychically reactive crystals that will, that will dampen out um, any background noise, stray thoughts or whatever. That, that was cool. Cool idea there. Um, the next thing that you would come to is the Gallery of Mirrors. And within the City of Sight, you know, it's sort of gloomy. Uh, of course, they had statues and the typical columned buildings with the grandly shaped and heroically proportioned um, monolithic structures, right? So it's very, even at this time of, of sort of the crusade, it's very gothic feeling to me. Um, and so you, you would kind of soak up all the, the light and the warmth of the, of the day. But um, the Gallery of Mirrors was actually dif different than that. So it's, it's a cathedral-like building, and the initiates pass through there uh, on their way to the soul binding. So this, is, this was probably the last site that they see on their way to the soul binding ritual, where if they survive... Uh, they would probably have their eyes burned out, right? Their neural pathways are going to be agonizingly reshaped so that they can better interpret the, uh, you know, the messages in the warp. So the, 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 it's, an, it's sort of an interesting, um, it's an irony, right, that the, the last site that the aspirants pass through um, before their soul-binding process is this beautiful, cathedral-like gallery of mirrors which you can only imagine from the sound like it just probably reflects all of the sunlight and has all of the beauty that's lacking in the rest of the city of sight and sort of the imperial palace in general 
so it's an interesting out you know it's it's interesting sort of play on um i think loss right i think that's like loss and sacrifice um that that the the astro telepaths and the telepaths in general like they really are um in service to the emperor and in service to to the crusade right which later becomes the imperium so um it's a sort of a common theme throughout it's almost like um it's almost like a gift like they're gonna give up at least one of their major senses so the emperor kind of grants them a sight almost nobody else in the entire imperium gets to see before you know they lose it all i think there's kind of a good synchronicity in there yeah no i i I totally agree jason i think that's sort of in keeping with the way the emperor sees sort of sacrifice and service to the sort of the survival of mankind, right? The survival of the species. Um, Pat, did you have any thoughts on that one? Um, no, I mean, Jason kind of hit it off with, with the fact that, you know, the last thing they'll they'll see next to, like, the actual emperor's face is, like, all the beauty of Terra, essentially. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. sort of the last vision going in. It's kind of um, like, burn this into your brain because <laughs> you'll never see it again. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's also some some form of honor in the fact that, you know, they get to be before the in front of the emperor. So you know. Yeah, I think so. I think I mean it's it's very few of of uh, the human species ever gets to be that close to the master of mankind. Right. So the next uh, notable artifice we have is the Whispering Tower, which is. Um, it has sort of this lattice of silver light, this warm lattice of silver light, and it exists sort of beyond the sight of most mortals. But even though it sort of resonates this this glow, this warm glow, it's just totally eclipsed by the light of the Astronomicon, right? So as you're sort of looking at the Whispering Tower, you've got this warm silverly, silvery glow, and then the Astronomicon is just going to like blow it out of uh sort of your your visual spectrum right whether you're psychic or not um and it the the whispering tower itself is just a vast chamber um it's sort of like a, a great amphitheater and this this is exactly what i was getting at earlier this was shaped by the cognizance um who first created the city of sight and it's it's sort of unclear um why but because they were psychically attuned they were able to build this architecture and really any knowledge of how to build this psychically attuned architecture probably died with them um so within the whispering tower itself though this is important the whispering tower is used to um create sort of this gestalt consciousness right and it's this sharpened focus and so thousands of high-ranking astropaths are going to be seated within the whispering tower in sort of ever um uh ascending tiers and so this is probably the greatest astropathic choir that's ever existed Right, if you think about it, it's this focusing beacon that can literally project messages and thought across the galaxy. Um, so it's pretty, um, it's it's pretty singular, I think, in its purpose, and it's pretty singular in its design, and it's just it's fascinating to think of thousands of very high-ranking astropaths just seated in this 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 like row upon row and tier upon tier of of uh of of yeah you know gestalt consciousness going forward i don't know what do you guys think yeah that that's like so it's kind of interesting to think about that just because it, in other books that i've read that have has, have have had astropaths is that like you you have an astropath and then you have somebody sitting right next to the astropath recording everything that's going on in its brain or everything it's saying in it in its essential like because astropaths go into kind of like a coma state when they're when yeah. they're projecting. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and you're right. And just that, the so. amount, like thinking about the amount of astropaths that are needed just for the 
Astronomicon to function, and then the amount of personnel behind that. It's, I mean, not to use Astro so often, but it's astronomical. I mean... Well, so this is different than the Astronomicon. So the Astronomicon, yeah, you're, you're good. But so this would be the, the, the whispering um, the whispering tower, and it's it's sort of like the the psi the locus and the, the psi focus for um, the most powerful astropathic messages sort of thrown into the warp. Oh, so my comments work out perfectly then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's essentially like, hey, let's put a giant ear on the surface of Earth, you know? Yeah, a, a giant ear and then also a giant, like, voice. Yeah. You know? So it's it's both it's both receiving and sending. It's the it's the receiving and sending signal, the heart of the imperial palace um, in terms of communications. So that's pretty cool. I've never really I've never really thought about how like the Imperium communicates on that level. I think so deeply before. I've never really you know deeply thought about sort of the the underlying architecture, right, of how that happens. And so that makes sense that they would have, like, a a hub, right, um, of, of sort of uh, communications. So moving on, um, this is actually really interesting because this is something that I was alluding to in our last episode, uh, the Honora Critica Alcara Mundi. So rising through the central spire of the Whispering Tower, so this is, we're still in the Whispering Tower here, uh, is a long spiral staircase that led to the upper wing that housed the Honora Critica Alcara Mundi, the great dream library of the city of sight. Towering shelves rearing hundreds of meters into the air filled the sections of the Honora Critica. Groaning stacks radiated from the central hub filled with interpretive texts, dream diaries, vision logs, and the many books of common astropathic imagery. Every vision received and sent from the city of sight was stored within, a complete record of communication that passed between Terra and the wider galaxy. Scores of hunched astropaths drifted through the stacks like green ghosts, seeking clarification for a vision while elder telepaths added freshly approved symbols to the ever-growing library. So I think in the last episode I was talking about the interpretation of dreams and when an, an like a novice or a novitiate comes to the city of sight that the very first thing they do is they spend time by themselves just interpreting their dreams, right? So they're given a message astropathically, they receive it and then they have to sort of decode it and they have to figure out how close they got to the mark, right? So they'll see visions and they'll interpret the visions, they'll write it down in their own honora critica, right, which is just like literally a giant book of blank pages. And, uh, and then apparently every single one of these visions um, is put into a, a, a giant library. So it's, it's crazy. Dear Diary, today I got a call from the Coronet Deeps. It was real nice. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I want to say it's like it's like the it would it's like the self help section at Barnes and Noble if you are on an acid trip, right? God, that'd like be you... awful. So bad. <laughs> oh my god. Right? It's like it's like the like the the craziest shit that you can think of in terms of like dream diaries, like that far out shit, right? That that stuff that's like today I dreamed about dragons. What does that mean? Because they're you know people get into this right. Like people yeah. get into like dream oh, theory. Super and... deep. But it's like, <laughs> we just got a message from Warmaster Horus. What was it? Well, there's a gecko eating a horse. I don't know what it means, but I'll figure it out in a minute. It's like... I absolutely love that all of it, like, they're established symbols, but so much of the interactions are completely subjective. Yeah, yeah. which is wild, right? Like, one astropath will receive the very same message completely differently. But then they can decode it based on their own, you know... Honora Critica and sort of the fact that they've studied at the City of Sight, you know. But then not every psych or not every astropath can decrypt every message, but they can still act as a sender for said message. Yeah, yeah, I think that gets into sort of the the ciphers, right, Pat? That you were talking about last episode. Yeah. So you got like Verm. I think like the highest one is like Vermilion or something like that. But yeah, it's like um, 
because every every psyker, excuse me, every astropath can act as a conduit, but they don't necessarily like for instance the relay stations act as a conduit for a message to continue on to another place. So they receive the message, but then it passes through them on into the next poor schmuck down the road. So, oh, you're. Uh, I think you're right. Vermilion is the highest coding level, which I remember because I've read uh, the very first Gaunt's Ghost book, like yep. <laughs> probably eight times by now. And Gaunt even says, like, oh, holy shit, this is Vermilion level. Even, like, mainline combat orders are only Obsidian level. Well, I mean, Dan Abnett actually mentions it, like, ten times, like, in a chapter in that book. So that that's the only reason why it was nailed into my head, and, like, I know the highest level. But, yeah, so, you know, not everybody has the clearance, so not everyone will actually... Like, I don't necessarily know how the conduit system works as far as, like, ha- like do they interpret the dream and then push it on? But who knows? Well, let's, let's get into that. So, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll skip a couple things here. We'll skip the sort of the novitiates and, and sort of where they study. And then we'll, we'll come back to the cryptocesian because the cryptocesian is pretty important. But, Pat, what you were talking about is the conduit. Yeah. And so the conduit is at the heart of the city of sight. Um, it's the nexus of all intergalactic communication for the Imperium. Um, so messages initially come into the conduit, and this is a, it's a room where basically black-clad infocytes plugged into their cogitators and sort of arrayed in their hundreds uh, are just, they're just, downloading telepathic messages. They're sifting through them. The cryptocesians are there. They're sort of looking for any type of, uh, probably, Pat, what you're talking about, right, which is encryption, um, and then as well as uh, if there's any type of what they think of maybe tampering, right? So these are messages that are being tampered right. with. Um, they're sort of sifting through them. And then they're passed through Numo uh, tube. Um, which I can only imagine is like the uh, the the sort of the pipeline, the the airvac system, but it's like an airvac system for a telepathic message, right? Yeah. So I yeah, I mean it's weird. I don't know. I don't know, Graham. You'll have to come back and tell us, uh, Graham McNeil, what the fuck you were thinking. Yeah. Uh, please listen to our cast and come on our show, please, <laughs> please. Describe the conduit pneumo tube system. He comes on um, and he's like, I don't know. I wrote that forever ago. <laughs> I was super high when I wrote that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think the conduit is like sort of where the messages come in. Um, and then they're sort of, they're sifted through to make sure there are no anomalies, right? Like, I don't think there's yeah. any, deco- there's no decoding or decryption going on here. Um, because only the astropaths can do that, right? Um, but they're, I think they're looking for, like, those probably the ciphers, so the overlaid encryption. They're probably looking for any type of um, tampering. Um, that's, my, that's my guess of the conduit. We don't have a lot of information on it. So, huh. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, very cool, though. It is very cool. Yeah, it's cool that, they, that, it's cool that the messages don't just, like, come straight in to the Whispering Tower, right? They've got to go, there's at least some, like, protocol. There's some safeguard, right? Yeah, there's a firewall but, there. There's a fire. exactly, Pat, right? There's a firewall, man. And I think that's probably what, what Graham was thinking about when he was, was doing a lot of this, like, the message traffic back and forth. Like, how's the... How's it's the system, it's basic system engineering, not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, again, it's just... Like the Black Library authors operating on completely like another level. Of course they are. Um, speaking of another level, uh, we have the Novitiates level, which is the lowest level in the Whispering Tower. It's you know where you would go to, I guess, learn how to be an astropath, right? And so you get the, you sort of get the astropath 101. Um, you get the astropath shorthand, you get the common symbols, the basic mantras, the nuncio, um, you get your own little room, right? You have your own little dorm room. Um, you have your own eating and ablution, uh, chambers, 
And you just basically, I think you spend a lot of time just interpreting your dreams, man. Be pretty cool. Kind of trippy, dude. I mean, that's not even their <laughs> full-time job. It's like the entirety of their life. Yeah. Yeah, which is weird. Like, for people that basically sleep all day, astropaths are, like, fucking super short-lived, right? Like, they just waste away, which I find, like, is this, is like, another irony, right? Like, you're, you're, like, you're basically sleeping. You're, like, napping all day long, right, 24-7, and yet a 20-year-old astropath looks like he's 50, you know, which is, it's, it's wild, right? I mean, it's just amazing how quickly psychers do waste Burn out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I think it's, it's the exposure to the warp and everything else that they're doing. It's just that psychic toll on, uh, on the rest of the body. But, um, but yeah, uh, to further explore the, the, um, novitiate level, um, each cell where an initiate of the Scholasta Psychana would be, uh, housed is numbered um and they pray they meditate they sleep they're completely devoid of anything that might have indicated who they were before then so personal effects all gone um which makes sense because if you're trying to psychically cleanse a space so that you have no contamination of influence or dreams that's what you need to do right so um it's a pretty aesthetic life that the uh, astropaths undergo. And again, it just makes me think of, like these astropaths really, I mean, I don't know how much choice they had, right? I guess it was like, you could go to the hollow mountain and <laughs> feed the astronomicon, or you can be an astropath, right? Um, so not a whole lot of choice, but it is definitely a sacrifice and they are certainly servants of humanity. They're servants of, you know, the, the Imperium, I think. In the same way that space marines are, right? So Legion and Astartes, right? They're like taking as kids, right? They don't have a fucking choice, man. It's like some little kid, right? Picked off the street and like, hey, man, we're going to graft some muscles on you and psycho-indoctrinate you and turn you into a uh, fucking serial killer. Um, but it's for <laughs> for the good of humanity, right? So, yeah, well, that's everything the Emperor does, right? It's all <laughs> it's allegedly <laughs> for the good of humanity. He doesn't specify which parts of humanity, but... Uh... It's definitely some of them. Mostly his parts, but but that's debatable. You know, he does it for for all of us. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. I love it though, man. It's just what makes the it makes the the universe so compelling, right? It's just it's so grim um, that uh, it's. I think it's what gives it its resonance, right? This is atmosphere. Um, the very last place that we'll explore is the Cryptocesian. And sort of, this is also, everything's within the Whispering Tower, right? So after you pass through the Obsidian Arch, um, and there's the, the, the Cathedral of Mirrors, um, everything else is within the Whispering Tower. So the Cryptocesian is within the depths of the Whispering Tower, and it's a dome chamber uh, that continuously echoes with the myriad voices of the astropathic choir. It's like a dump, right? It's like a psychic, it's like a psychic sump. So everything that comes in sort of sinks down to the bottom. It's the sort of the runoff, the psychic residue. Um, the dome's apex, uh, has a crystalline lattice that's pulsing with internal illumination. It's cascaded, multi-angled, faceted, but it's, it's basically, it's, it's there to sort of create the runoff of all of the psychic um, communication that's passed through the city of sight. And what's fascinating about this is like, it just, it sort of echoes down there, right? And for infinity, eventually it becomes faint, fainter and fainter. But I think Pat, the analogy here I would have is like the sort of like the radio signals, right? Yeah. The, so the, so radio signals we know will bounce around, um, like HF will bounce around off high atmosphere and the earth and they'll, you know, bounce around for years and years. And like, you can still pick up radio signals that are, you know, 50 years old, right? If you have the right equipment, the right time of day and the right atmospheric conditions, um, which is wild. But, uh, so this is, this is basically that this is the psychic runoff of every astropathic message that was ever sent and received by the city of sight. And there's a special group of astropaths within the city of sight called the Cryptocesians, right? 
big surprise there. They go, <laughs> <laughs> they, they go and they, uh, they like mine this, right? They look for it. They look for the, they look for the, uh, the links. They look for the, you know, the, the red string theory, right? You know, what connects to what. And so, um, it's interesting that, that even exists, right? This sort of, that's, that's the thing. Um, ostensibly in the heresy, they're obviously looking for signs that um, the agents of Horus infiltrated uh, the Imperial Palace or they were able to inf inf uh, infiltrate the city of Sight. Um, but before that, they were looking for other types of psychic residue. Pretty tough, man. Yeah. Sorry, when you say psychic residue, it just kind of, just sounds gross and sticky. Like it just it sounds really unpleasant, you know? Yeah, like you wouldn't want to just like go down there without wearing your protective clothing, right? Yeah. And it sounds kind of like the psychic version of like that sweaty pit thing you get after you work out. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, so we know that psychers get like frosted from like using their warp powers. Like I wonder if that manifests in any other ways. Cuz like they even talk about for instance, if we go into 40k, like, um, like, uh, psychers both on both sides of, of the battle, either, you know, forces of chaos or forces of, of the Imperium both have this like psychic residue of frost. I wonder if, I wonder if it can manifest in a gooey form. Sorry, it's a bit of a tangent, but it it's worthwhile. I promise. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard it described as manifesting like like that i do remember that like in some of the eisenhorn novels mm -hmm. um and dan abnett may have actually said that he took some liberties with this but do you guys remember when they were able to like reconstruct past events through a like a seance almost it was like a it was like a some kind of a psychic seance yeah like they would take objects from this person, personal effects that had like meaning and resonance, and they were able to reconstruct sort of ghosts, and you could have like this little conversation with them. It was weird. That was Eisenhorn, right? Definitely Eisenhorn. Yeah, yeah um, because they yeah. they do a couple of them. They do a couple on the ship, and then uh, one or two on like in his like estate or plantation or whatever yes, he has. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I don't know if that's like maybe a little. It's yeah. so like a little call out to that idea, right? That yeah. that that things are imprinted and have sort of psychic residue. Not the greatest way to say it, but um, maybe like a residual sort of psychic um, imprint, right? Yeah. So that's it, man. That's what I've got. That's the city of sight, guys. I hope you enjoyed your tour. Um, yeah, we'll be stopping in the uh, petitioner's city, and everyone's got to get the fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Get off the fucking bus. Don't worry, we got plenty of pics and uh there's a uh, little souvenir bobbleheads of the Emperor. No big deal. <laughs> so uh Awesome. Yeah. Jason, you got anything? Uh that was pretty comprehensive for me. Yeah. Um well I mean I think that's it for us as far as astropaths yeah. go. Um but uh Thanks everybody for listening in. It, it's actually been a lot of fun. I, you know, I I love our long series that we do, but also these these small episodes, like these one or two mini sods, I like to call them, are are what make you know the lore of of Warhammer what I love. About you know, it's just you can pull so many awesome things out of it. But yeah, so uh, thank you everybody for listening, and uh, let's go on get some plugs. Dave, you got anybody? Um, I do have one plug, and it's uh, the House Orlock transfer sheet that I talked about, I think, many episodes ago when we were still talking about the Corn and Deeps. Yep. Um, so that has come back, and it is a thing now. I have seen the sheets. I have seen the specs. It's going to be awesome. Um, if you guys would like to get in on that, um, please hit me up. And I will point you in the right direction. So I don't have a cost yet, but we can go over all the details. And believe me, you will not be disappointed. This is going to be a transfer sheet that is um, amazing. And you'll be able to use it for all kinds of stuff. Um, I'll quickly plug uh, our buddy uh, Steve, part of the Remembrancers Retreat, also part of, you know, Richmond 30K. He's currently uh, 
we're currently set supporting slash running a uh, a bit guessing charity event. We've got a, I know we posted the link up on the Remembrancers Retreat site, um, and it's on uh, Richmond 30K, Maryland 30K. If you're local, um, but essentially, like, there's this big jar of bits, and uh, it's a charity event. So, like, you know, donate a couple bucks and take a guess at how many bits are in this jar. There's a lot of stuff in it. Um, and I'll make sure to link that back up on the Facebook. But uh, you might also hear him for our Australian listeners. You might hear him in the next uh, Eye of Horus episode. Uh, he and uh, Brian from uh, Maryland 30K uh, talked about the charity thing, and then Brian talked about the uh, Nova charity auction and like the awesome heresy armies and like the warlord that's being painted that you can buy raffle tickets. So really cool stuff. Jason. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there too, Pat. I mean, it's just not like you're just like random bits of shit that you can't use. Like, oh no. Yeah. Just like solid. Like if you're into building, um, like models, like ink 28 models or converting your own models, there's plenty of good stuff in there. Um, I don't know if Steven's blown that out, but, um, it's, there's a, old solid metal uh avatar of kane in there there's a whole lot of like old old hammer models in there but again there's a lot of bits um it's and, and it's they're good bits they're oh, not yeah. just like yeah the throwaway pieces of plastic screws they're like they're you know, arms legs torsos heads all the good shit all the good weapons they're like it's it's legit yeah and uh forgot to mention the winner of that uh will actually get the entire bits container I don't know, feel like it's like a gallon of bits or something like that. Something ridiculous. And then uh, the second place and third place also get a smaller container of bits. And again, these are all good bits, and it's going to a good cause. It's going to um, the local children's hospital in Richmond. So uh, consider checking that out and, and uh, giving some money to charity and guessing about some bits. Jason, yeah. you, you got anything? Uh, not a whole lot, other than just um, pick up Warhammer Fantasy. Like, we need more people to play? That'd yeah. be great. Yeah, I think bring back uh, fantasies is, might be the new catchphrase, but, but we'll see. Come back to the old world. It's still yeah. alive. Before Nagash blew it up. Um, oh, boy. We're going to get some mail about that one. Yeah, well, <laughs> tough. Um, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to make fun of Age of Sigmar. It's just not my game. If you want to play World of Warcraft on your own time, that's your thing. I'm not going to make fun <laughs> of you for it. Oh. Jason Flynn does not represent the views of Heresy Gretzel. Um. <laughs> I mean, kudos for Games Workshop for finding out a way for making World of Warcraft even more expensive. Right? Now you have to buy models for it. I will say this. The, the, yes. only, the only thing about Age of Sigmar that I like is that a lot of the models that are coming out are absolutely backwards compatible. So that, like, there's almost a part of me that looks at the models that are coming out, and I'm like, you definitely designed that for 8th edition Warhammer Fantasy. You just never got around to doing it. And I'm going to buy it because it's fucking awesome, and I'm going to play it on a square base and put it in a movement tray. Yeah, it's like, we knew you had this concept art, like, <laughs> five or ten years ago when fantasy was in its heyday like what the hell are you doing um you hear that games workshop we're gonna take your age of sigmar models and put them <laughs> on square bases and you can't stop us love it i love the fact that also they're bringing back movement trays for age of sigmar which is i don't know is that ironic or poetically coincidental um i feel like it's ironic because like with round bases they're trying to get completely away from from movement trays but then they come out with apoc and they're like oh hey we can cross market these new movement trays that we're doing with apoc oh by the way apoc's a thing and hopefully there'll be some exciting event news heresy wise coming down the pipes right dave yeah i think i i i I don't know how much longer we want to make this episode, but i i, I like apoc i think it's gonna i think it's gonna fix a lot of things that were a problem in the last format, right? Which is, um, you know, the shit that you just just got blown off the table turn one. Not going to happen anymore. You're going to get a chance to play with all your stuff um, at least one turn, right? So everything will be able to move, shoot, and communicate. 
Um, and then it's just going to be dy more dynamic because of activating, act you know, activating um, turns, right? Activations, alternating. That's what I'm trying to say. Alternating yeah. activations. Alternating. Yeah. So it's going to fix a lot of the stuff I think that really bogged down APOC before. I think it's going to be a cleaner game system. Somebody told me it was like basically epic, just um in 28 millimeter. So I don't know. I never played epic, uh, but hey, man, that sounds great. Word. But yeah, so uh, that was our rant about fantasy, and uh, we hope you all have enjoyed the episode. Uh, I guess uh, see y'all later, and uh, fuck off, Craig. Fuck right off, Craig. All right, Dennis. Love you, Craig. <laughs> Shut up. Craig's dead to me. Don't get his hopes up. <laughs>